Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Megan Riordan Jarvis is the author of End of the Hour, a therapist's memoir. This is a Zivi book, and I am so excited to bring this book to you. I met Megan in Zivi's virtual book club, which I started at the request of some friends who had been coming to my author salon here in New York City. And Megan was a vocal, super smart, amazing trauma therapist who during the pandemic had amazing things to say about every book we read. I asked her at one point, do you have a book in you? You seem, you seem like you might. And she did. And over time, it became this book. And I am thrilled to have played a role in helping her story get into the world. Megan is a podcast host, Grief is My Side Hustle, two-time TEDx speaker, and psychotherapist specializing in grief 
and trauma and loss. After experiencing PTSD following the deaths of both of her parents, she founded Talking Point Partners to help employers address complex emotions such as grief in the workplace. Megan is currently at work on Can Anyone Tell Me Why? 25 Essential Questions About Grief and Loss, which publishes with Sounds True Media in 2024. Originally from New England, Megan currently lives in Maryland with her husband and their three children, where competing piles of Lego bricks and books cover most surfaces of the house. We're partnering with Moleskin on all of our Zibby books, so please know that you can get 15% off paper and bags at moleskin.com and free personalization with the purchase of a notebook by entering the code, all caps, Zibby. Visit moleskin.com, M-O-L-E-S-K-I-N-E.com. Make sure that you put in the code Zibby and that Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, is in all capital letters. The Moleskin journals that we are doing for many of our Zibby books are customized for each book. The colors match the colors of our covers. We have a special thing printed inside. We have uh, a belly band that goes around the books talking about the taglines of all of our books and the expression stories are best when shared because come on, they are. Here's our episode. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your memoir, End of the Hour. I am so excited to be here. It's like a super surreal thing that you are in your library interviewing me right now. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. It's so amazing. Wait, tell everybody the whole history of, and I'll chime in, of like how we met and how this book is in the world. Oh my God. I know. So I was on a, I was on a podcast the other day and they were like, tell us how you got your book deal. I was like, Oh, don't you want to know how I met my husband? That was much more straightforward. <laughs> so, so I was reading the book inheritance by Danny Shapiro. That is where it started. A friend of mine that I went to high school with, I posted it and was like, I think this is the best book I've ever read. And a friend of mine said that author is coming to this book, this new book club that I just became a part of, you can come. And I had just gone up to Kripalu to see Danny Shapiro. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely coming. And then I zoom in to what I assumed was going to be hundreds of people. I think there were like 20 of us. And here you are and you are hosting, you know, we talk about the book for 20 minutes and then Danny Shapiro comes in and talks to, you know, the 20 or 30 of us. And I was like, what is this group and how do I... And at that point, I was still really grieving. I was still in really early grief. And the the level of conversation was so... It reminded me of safer times when I was in high school and people were really interested in having intellectual conversation. So back then, we were reading essentially a memoir a week. So I just ordered the whole stack and was like, (laughs) one o'clock on Tuesdays, I have to be at the book club. And it was this incredible community of people who, you know, a memoir is essentially a grief story, you know, from my perspective. If If you're bothering to tell your story, it's because something deeply difficult happened. So I was just really moved by the books. And of course, I I'm a trauma therapist specializing in grief and loss. So I also really was engaged in the books. And then you had this unbelievable tragedy happen in your family where your mother-in-law died and your grandmother-in-law died. And so then you and I had sort of this like conversation about resources and connection. And you really graciously invited me to that funeral, which was on Zoom. And there was my cousin, Bill McCormick. (laughs) And I'm texting him and I'm like, what are you doing at this funeral? 
And he's like, what are you talking? What are you doing at this funeral? And at that time it was during COVID. I was in a house in Montana because my family was traveling, but I was still making every Tuesday book club. And he was like, Zibby and my best friend and my wife are, have been best friends since camp or grade school. Or, yep. And I was like, of course, that's exactly how it is. So then you and I would, you know, meet in the in the Zoom room and also text and talk and share resources. And I'd say, have you seen this book? And I remember connecting you to Hope Edelman because I got really obsessed with a book she was reading. And it just was this network of extraordinary people who cared about each other, kind of knew each other's stories, got to know authors, were rooting for each other. I have chills when I'm talking about it. Like, it's hard to explain what this book club was for me. And then... I started really writing and I was talking about how I was writing and it, we, it, we had just come back. We came back from our four, four slash five month long trip. And I was really writing about um, the grief story that becomes my memoir. And you sent me an email and the email said, do you think you have a memoir in you? Question mark. <laughs> and it came across at like five in the evening and my husband was cooking and I was like, Hey babe, can you come here? And I showed it to him and I was like, what do you think this means? And he was like, um, I think it means what the words say. And I was like, what? She wants me. And then you explained that you had some plans and that you were maybe going to do an imprint and all of that didn't immediately happen. But instead in lieu of I worked on my memoir with your support and this fellowship that you put together with Carolyn Murnick, this extraordinary editor who helped me. And that is what happened. And then the minute Carolyn and I said, this is a book, because it was not a book in the beginning. In the beginning, it was a bunch of almost like journal entries. And and God love that woman. She worked very hard to sort of teach me how to write a book. And the minute we said, this is a book, she she called me and she was like, you did it. It's a book. And then two days later, I was in the UK and you were like, hey, do you have a minute? And I was like, "Uh oh, I'm either in trouble or, and you called and said, we want to buy your book. And by that time, I knew that you were starting, you know, you were like, shh, don't tell anyone, I'm going to do this myself. And I was like, this woman is such a badass. Like she's, (laughs) you know, to a lot of my friends, they're like, how do you get this all done? And I'm like, you should meet my publisher, Zippy Owens, because she moves at a clip even faster than mine. But I really understood your passion. Like I really understood what you were trying to do. And it was, you know, I was in this, this little fellowship of other writers who were writing their extraordinary stories at the same time. And we were, we were meeting, I think once a month and sharing writing. And so what I said on a different podcast recently is there just was not one single moment where when I was carrying this story that I didn't feel really supported by a deep bench of people. And I understand from other people who are writing memoir, which is such a hard process that that isn't always the case, that really it can feel very alone and you can get really in your own sort of like your head and feel self-conscious. And I just never had that. I had from the very beginning, tell us more of your story, maybe with fewer words and (laughs) more guidance. So our story to me is just the most, it's like the most extraordinary universe passing me a teacup when I most needed it. And, and just changed my life, completely, totally changed my life. I mean, I don't even have the same day job anymore that I had when I started. And and I think you said to me, like, I 
I don't know that you understood how fresh in my grief I really was when we first met, that it was really, you know, again, we can talk about the memoir, but I had been really ill from it. And so to have this structure, you know, that's something that we talk about in grief and loss is structure is really important. And Tuesday was the one hour, but, you know, I also had to go to bed and read, get in bed and read the books. You know, I needed to be able to talk about it. So it just, I mean, I love our story. It's like a meet cute that, you know, (laughs) would take an hour to tell just in the beginning of a, of a movie. Oh my gosh. I know I've been trying to explain it. I'm like, but Megan, like, I feel such like pride. I'm so excited for you. I'm like, I feel like, like a, a, a parent watching a kid, like in the, in the big play at the end of the year and you're just like beaming, you know, and like knowing that they're singing so well and you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can, I don't sing like that, but I can watch and see something that I helped like have a little piece in and look at what they do. And anyway, it's like the greatest feeling. So I'm just so excited for you. Okay. So tell listeners now that they know all about us, tell us about the book, about the grief. I did not know you were so fresh in grief when we first met. I didn't know. And, you know, some of the timeline of all of it, I was sort of hazy in my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, all that we went through. And then like you lost a friend, the friend, a friend who was in the group with us. That too happened. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I should say that, that Christine Shim, who was a friend of mine from where I went to high school, who invited me into the group died by suicide. And you were the first person I called when that happened. Cause, and the two of us just were on the phone. I, I had rented a little house in Baltimore to work on some chapters for the memoir and a friend called and, and she and I at that point were also running it still exists a book club with my friends from high school. So yeah. And, and, you know, I put in the acknowledgements, like, I just hope she can see what she gave me and what oh. she created by putting us together. I know it's it. Yeah. I mean, it's life and death all the time everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just doesn't. Yeah. Now it it's doesn't. like suicide prevention month right now. And we're talking and like every, it's just all crazy. Everything universe yeah, this is like, it the is. Universe. it is, it is. Okay, your story, please. <laughs> yes. So, so the memoir, so the book that I wrote is the story. So I work as a trauma therapist specializing in grief and loss, and I have for 20 years, largely because that is the part of therapy that is the most compelling to me and I'm really good at. So I'm trained in all kinds of complicated treatments, not just come in and tell me your problems, but come in and let's do some actual work to move energy through your body. And I I experienced the death of a teenager. My family and I were on a beach, you know, a 16-year-old went into the water and didn't come out, who was beloved by everyone in my town. And I sort of, in my own experience with therapy, came to understand that that was a formative event. And I did a lot of therapy around that sort of childhood trauma that mostly went unacknowledged in, you know, the mid 80s, because that's what we thought we were supposed to do is like, don't talk about bad things around kids. And in 2016, my dad was diagnosed with small cell cancer when he was 79. And I understood, I worked in hospitals, I had doctors as friends, that small cell cancer is a death sentence. So I spent a year, I sat down with my husband and I was like, I I had a pretty complicated relationship with my dad, but I was like, I do not want to look back on this year and regret anything. So I would like to go to just be with him as much as possible. So the first part of the book is really about that. My experience of just tending and and being a part of my dad's death, participating in it. And, And the image that I use for this is like, it's like sipping little cups of grief 
over, you know, a year's time. He died basically a year to his diagnosis as we expected that he would. And, you know, I was there when he died. And so part of the book is sort of, you know, the taking stock and also the inanity, the crazy things that happen that you have to attend to when someone's dying and when they have to have medical support and intervention and those things. And then two years later, which is relevant because there's lots of statistics that when one partner dies, another partner dies two years later. And most famously, the Queen of England died almost two years after Prince Philip died. So there's a lot of data on that. And my mom, I was on vacation with my mom. She and I had gone to Maine for a week together first, which was pretty extraordinary. We didn't always travel, but my husband had taken our kids to the UK where he's from. And I called my mom and said, why don't we do something together? Because, you know, she was still really deep in grief, although I don't think I fully appreciated that until I experienced the death of her. So I went to her house on Cape Cod after our trip to Maine for our annual one month, you know, use my parents for their beach house month. And she was, she was ill. We knew she was ill, but we did not know she was dying. And she went to sleep one night and did not wake up. And my experience of that, which I write about in the book, is I was driving to to Boston to pick up my godson. It was really early in the morning because I wanted to get him before all the traffic. So I was driving to Boston and I had this sensation, which I remembered from being pregnant, of like real pressure in my pelvis. And then it felt like my water broke. And then this has happened to me a few times in my life. It was like, I could see the sentence almost like a meme. She died. And then I just knew she died. And so I texted my husband who was, you know, just waking up and doing some work at the house and said, have you seen my mom? And I just, it's like, I could predict everything he was going to text and say, I mean, I just knew. And he said, no, maybe she went to church. And I was like, that's insane. You know, she she wasn't eating. She, she wouldn't have gotten dressed and gone to church. And so then I started driving and then he called and told me he wanted me to pull over. And I had four kids in the back of my minivan. And so there's this moment that I talk about and it's really important to me. You know, there are lots, when you're writing a memoir, there are a million things you could say and it's hard, right? Because there's other people there. And so you want to tell your story without accidentally adjacent telling their story, but not minimizing their experience. I ended up, I was in Boston. So like those crazy clover leaf exits where you like go in a circle for four minutes before you come out the other side. And I was in like a broken down parking lot where there was, you know, an off-brand Dairy Queen. And that's where I pulled the car over and I left. The kids were playing Pokemon in the car, thank God. And I just left it idling and walked around the other side. And, you know, my husband told me she died. And I was an hour and about 20 minutes away from my house. And there is this moment that I understand clinically because people have told me about this moment so many times where there's like your whole before life is like collapsing into the pavement. You're never going to see it again. And there's no, you have no idea how you're going to move forward. So it's like your own, you know, Buddhists talk about being in the present moment. Like that's all there was, was the present moment. There was like this present moment and then the next moment after this, and then the next moment after that. And I chose in that moment to sort of pack up 
the notion that my mother had died and really attend to the fact that I had four kids in the car that I needed to get safely where they needed to get. And I knew I would be able to do that because I worked as an emergency clinician. I knew what it took to sort of zip into that part of me, but I never really zipped out. And so about a month after my mom died, but starting just like minutes, I would say it started in that parking lot, but really starting just minutes after her funeral, I could feel myself in my body. I could feel myself developing PTSD. And again, it's like, it's like when someone describes something to you in a book, like, like I described France, like, oh, it has mountains and it's beautiful. And there's like really good creamy butter. But like, when you go to France, you're like, oh, this is what they meant. So after spending literal hundreds of hours with clients saying it felt like this, I had this whole metacognition of like, oh my God, I know what this is. And I still probably had two or three weeks where I was like, but I'm a clinician. I can, I can take care of this myself. But the truth is when your mind and body kind of corrupt like that, it doesn't matter what you've learned. There is no doing it by yourself. The whole purpose is you are not safe inside the vessel that is your body. And for me, what it was happening, I I sort of rushed with the kids to my mom's body and I prayed over it after she died, even though that's not my ritual, it was her ritual. And really without thinking that that might do me damage. So for for those weeks, what was happening in the beginning, it was like when there was a pause, but eventually it was all the time. I was just seeing flashes of the images of her dead body. And I just had this deep and profound guilt of like, it is my fault. I knew she was sick. You know, she, my mom was five feet tall and I'm five, eight and she weighed a hundred pounds and I do not, <laughs> but she was formidable. And she did not want my help while she was ill. She didn't want me to talk to her about it. We ended up sort of fighting about it. And the consequence of me not being more assertive is something, you know, that I still wonder about and live with now. And I feel like it's important to say that, you know, PTSD still exists. So I still have days where I see those images and think those things. I just have more, um, there's more distance before it was like, a close talker right in front of my face and I couldn't see behind it. And now I can get it to sort of sit next to me on the couch. But because I'm a clinician and I work with really complicated cases, there, you know, grief generally resolves on its own. It has its own physical. I remember you texting me and being like, my brain is so foggy. And I was like, yeah, no, let me tell you the neuroscience behind that. That is a real thing that happens. And there's, I don't know why we don't just teach that like we would, you know, a health, a health class, but that's real. So I, I knew about all of those things. And I knew as my symptoms were getting worse that I was headed in the wrong direction. And I was lucky to have a relationship with a treatment center and other clinicians to make one phone call and, you know, them say, we'll see you on Monday. So I checked myself into the same facility that I had sent probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 patients. I mean, I've sent another 10 since then, this world-class facility in Tennessee where I had been before and done some training before and really trusted. And then I was there. A typical stay is, you know, probably four weeks, maybe a little longer. And I went for three weeks because I didn't need all the, you know, core class education. But I just sat while a therapist used the exact same interventions that I'm trained in 
And, and so I had a lot of hope and belief that it could work. And then I just was really lucky to have it work, to be able to come back and, you know, coming back again, we're sort of full circle. I was still really shaky. I mean, my relationships were really shaky. My friendships were really shaky. I didn't, I didn't feel like myself. I mean, it was four years ago. I still don't feel like that self. I'm not that I'm not the person I was before all of this. And the writing, the writing became the therapy, honestly. I didn't want to do talk therapy. So I was writing, it started out as letters to my mom. You know, I would, I called her Mimi. So every day I'd be like, dear Mimi, here's what I would have told you on the phone. Because I talked to her most days and I would, you know, oh, that makes me emotional. I would, I know. (laughs) I would write, you know, I would just write and write and write all the things, all the little details that I would have told her on the phone. And then it sort of became more like writing, you know, like a thread and a point and a, and my mom was an incredible reader. We wrote her obituary and my favorite line in the obituary is that she read every nonfiction book in the Ketuit library where Mm -hmm. she was from. So one of the things that's just so deeply surreal, and I had this moment at Alicia Fernandez Miranda's event at the Strand where her parents were there And they were looking at her with this like adoration. And I said to her mom afterwards, like, please don't take this the wrong way. That was so good for me because I will have that moment, but not with my parents. Oh, Megan, I'm so sorry. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's okay. But my my dad was a publisher. They read, you know, the famous bookstore company down here, Politics and Prose, is an incredible bookstore that is run by incredible people. And when my dad was dying, I wrote an article about this. I went in. My dad liked true crime and biography. And I can't bear either of those books. I I just can't. I mean, I had a like an eight minute old baby, and he was ta- he was asking me if I had read like Gore Vidal's new memoir, and I was like, old man, please stop. No, 
So I went into politics and prose and said, my dad is dying, but he can still read. Could you guys just pick out books? And so every week I would like pull up, put my flashers on in traffic, you know, during rush hour, run in, find Aaron. And he would say, which of these books do you want me to send him? So books were are such a family shared value, but I didn't really love memoir. I read a lot, you know, my job is a hard job. So I read a lot of books that were more like an English lass inherits a garden from her grandmother. There's a surly gardener who lives next door. Like, I love those books. Those were the books that I used to read. And my mom was like, why would you read things that aren't true? And you could learn from actual, you know, people or hear, hear real stories. And now... I mean, sort of, you know, I rarely read novels. I mostly only read memoir. And so I just, it is hard. It is an, it is a wild thing to think they never got to see this part of my life unfold because they would have really enjoyed it. They made a lot of sacrifices to make sure that I was well-educated. They made a lot of sacrifices in general. And we have just incredible experiences in bookstores and libraries. So there is a part of me, I know I know you're good friends with the rabbi, Steve Leader. He said to me once, look at the world through their eyes for them. And I do that a lot. I, I do. I'm like, mom, look. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so overwhelmed. This is so beautiful and so sad and so real. And you're amazing. And the story is amazing. And the book is amazing, but way more important than the book is is you, the person, how you connect with people, how you talk to people about your experience. How many people, even this conversation is probably helping right now. You're amazing. You're the sweetest. And this has all just been really meaningful for me. I can't, I just can't imagine where I would be in my life without all of those pieces that grew. You know, in trauma, we talk about traumatic growth. You know, the trauma is the event, the traumatized is the meaning that is negative. But then there is this unbelievable, as you begin to regulate and and live again, you know, you get to like plant seeds in that burned down field. And I just can't believe what my life has grown and given me since then. It, it you know, I wish they were here to see it. My dad, oh my God. I published an article about grief and loss in the MIT Sloan Business Magazine, which I know you know. And I mean, I'm not joking. My siblings and I, I have five siblings, we were texting each other like, dad would be standing outside the post office having photocopied this at Kinko's and would be handing it out to people. Like he just, he would have had it tattooed on his chest. So, you know, I, I, they're not here to see it. I can imagine how they would have reacted. And I do sort of feel like, Maybe they do see it. Maybe this is, maybe I see it for them. There are a lot of unknowns. And I know that you know so much as a total expert in this field, but there is still so much about souls and the universe. (laughs) I know this sounds so okay, but we don't know. So I like to believe that too. I like to believe that, you know, I remember when I was really, really close to my grandmother and she was the one who was like so supportive of my own writing. And I had the same thing when my memoir was coming out. I was like, I can't believe she didn't live to see this. Like she is the one who would call me every time and say, what are you writing? Are you writing? Don't give up. Are you still writing? And like, now finally I I got this book done and she wasn't there. And I remember talking to my husband about it and like, just like crying. And this is just what happens in life, right? It is what happens in life. People that we want to see it, but maybe... I don't know. I don't know why it happens this way. And maybe there's no rhyme or reason. 
But I like to believe that on some level in some universe that they know and they are happy. (laughs) Well, it's funny because again, Steve Leader talks about sort of like, what's your legacy? What would you want your legacy to be? And, you know, I had some of those conversations with my dad. I think I intuitively have a better sense with my mom. But I think they, well, first of all, I don't think my mom would have loved. People are like, did you dedicate your book to your mom? She would have been so proud of you. I I don't think so. I don't think she would have loved me writing a book that was so deeply emotionally open. She was old school. Like, why do you need to talk to your problems about the bubble with the, you know, everyone listening? And also, I do not think she would have loved it that I got so sick on account of her death. But I do think she would have loved to be you know, to see my library of Congress number in the inside of my book. I think she would have, you know, we did a retreat with you where we learned about like, how does the New York Times bestseller list work? Like the idea that I couldn't call her and be like, mom, I have to tell you this because I know she didn't know, you know, those things. I, I feel like my curiosity, my interest and my ability to pivot into writing and reading really is a legacy of theirs. I mean, it really is. There were books all over my house. There are books all over my house now. And I know that's not the case for everybody. And my dad used to do this thing, which I've now learned lots of dads do. He used to cut articles out of, you know, like the Financial Times, the New York Times, and just like put my name on it and sort of circle some. I I didn't even always know what he wanted, but, but it was a way of communicating. Like we didn't sit and have a deep conversation, but it was his way of sort of saying like, I know you because I think you would like this article or you, and he would send me books and I would send him books. So I do sort of feel like, you know, as a parent and as a person, like, I think they would have liked this legacy, you know, maybe better than handing down a house or, you know, China dishes, neither of which we kept. So, but the idea of writing matters and your story matters and, and that it's a thread to connect people. I mean, one thing I really was not, I didn't know to expect is how, gracious and accepting. And again, sort of back to that word of community writers are particularly memoir writers, because there could be maybe some competition about publishing. I'm sure that exists. Although because I wasn't in that place, I didn't feel that, but memoir writers, you know, nobody can steal and take your story. Nobody can write in your voice. So I remember talking to the poet Maggie Smith when her memoir first came out and I was like, I used to really love you, Maggie, but now I hate you because I've just never read anything more beautiful and now I want to stop writing. And she said, that's absurd. That's so absurd. You know, your story is the only story that can't be told by anyone but you in your voice, in your words. And I just didn't know to expect that. I didn't understand that that kind of rooting for each other and being delighted for each other and being touched and moved by each other was part of what I was entering into. I've been a solo practitioner for a long time. Me in my office, I call someone when there's a problem, like, I don't know what to do with this patient. And they say, try this. And that was kind of the extent of it. But what books have done in my life is, you know, I came to a different retreat to support a different author who was like nervous talking. And I was like, not a problem. Let me get a plane ticket. You know, I, I, that is a gift that I totally needed and didn't understand how much I needed it. It still happens. I mean, the Zibby authors have like a, you know, a WhatsApp thread where we're right now we're planning to do karaoke at the Miami retreat with Alicia because she's an incredible singer. 
But that, you know, when people talk about writing, what you often hear is that it's a really solo project and that people kind of go into the woods alone and they get into this space alone. And that hasn't been my experience either. Just from the very beginning, I had people reading my pages and commenting on my pages and and encouraging. And I started to tell you before we started recording that just this week I finished doing the audio book. And I have to tell you, I was I was dreading this. First of all, finding three days in my account. I was like, three days. I have to spend three days in a sound booth. And it just seemed like it was going to be hard and tedious. And I mean, a couple of things. One is I got a piece of advice in one of our Zibby classes to read the work out loud, that reading it out loud actually helps. So I have read my book probably six times all the way through out loud. But reading it out loud, I mean, this was the first time I experienced an audience hearing it. So Lisa, who is the producer, and Carter, who is the tech, they, you know, they were crying at times or they were laughing at times. And it was so validating and moving for me. I mean, I found myself choking up in the story at places that I haven't, maybe I choked up when I wrote them, but I hadn't. And so even just that, I felt like, like, give me your phone numbers. Like, we need to stay friends forever. Like, we did this intimate, important, like, you helped me in this experience. And that, that really, you know, I, my, my phone book, my, my iPhone really does have probably 50 new entries in the past few years, new friends that are a part of this community. And I didn't know to expect that either. This is amazing. This is so amazing. We're like already out of time. Thank you so much. I could, I could literally do like a 16 hour podcast with you. We will have to continue this just to chat because I love hearing this, all of what happened from your perspective and how great it is now. And I, my heart is just like so full. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so excited for all the people who are going to be helped by everything you have to offer in so many ways. So I am so grateful. And I've said this to you before. You are like a literal fairy godmother where you're like, here, you know, here's a princess dress and all the materials and resources. And, and I know how excited you are. I just know how genuine that is. I, I have felt that from the very beginning and that kind of vote of confidence when you're trying to do something completely new and hard at the age of 49 is so unbelievably needed. So I'm just I explode with gratitude all the time. And really, I just can't believe we did a podcast, the podcast that I listen to all the time that I am going to hear my own voice. It is just bonkers, this whole thing. (laughs) I'm so grateful. Me too. Bye, Megan. Bye, Zivi. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 